Good morning. I'd like to welcome all of you here today to the First Universalist Unitarian Church of Wassa. My name is Sarah Thurs, and I am a proud member of this congregation, which I have been attending since my nearly 16-year-old son was before he was born, and uh, my almost 19-year-old daughter was two years old, and everyone here at church called her Juju, which now that she's at UW-Madison, she has asked me to, to stop calling her that. So, just passing along the message in case you see her. And while 17 years feels like a really long time, it's a drop in the bucket compared to what we are here celebrating today, which is the 100th anniversary of Flower Communion. And if 100 years sounds like a momentous amount of time, take a moment to consider that First UU Church of Wausau has been a voice for liberal religion here in central Wisconsin since 1858. And let me say that again, since 1858. We have served this community as an intentionally free society that welcomes everyone just as they are, regardless of age, sexual orientation, economic situation, or ethnicity. Wherever you are on life's journey, and whether you remembered to bring a flower <laughs> or not, you are welcome here. We invite you to follow us online and to subscribe to our church e-newsletter, which has recently switched from monthly to weekly so that you don't miss out on any of our announcements and events and activities. We have no announcements today, or I would be reminding you of those. So with that, let's simply gather our hearts and our minds as you join me in reciting the church's chalice lighting, which our ushers have given to you in our order of service today. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. We thank you for coming today to share in this church's light and love and legacy. Now please rise in spirit or body for our opening hymn number 78 in the gray hymnal, Color and Fragrance.
you would, please stay standing and join me in our affirmation. You'll find the words in the bulletin. Love is the doctrine of this church. The quest of truth is its sacrament, and service is its prayer. To dwell together in peace, to seek knowledge and freedom, to serve human need, to the end that all souls shall grow into harmony with the divine. Thus do we covenant with each other in our doxology. Please be seated. This morning I'd like to share with you the story of the first flower communion. And I'm going to make a little note, is a beautiful and a sad story. But it's important that we tell whole stories even if they don't end the way that we would like them to. I've adapted part of it from Janine Groshmeyer's story in, a, in her book, The Lamp in Every Corner, our UU storybook. It all begins in 1923 in Prague in what's now known as the Czech Republic. There was a church, but it didn't really look like a church. It had no pews, no stained glass windows. It didn't have a piano or flowers or candles or even a chalice. It didn't look like Yuasa does at all. The church did have some things, though. It had a door and a few windows, some wooden chairs, people that came every week, and they also had a minister, and his name was Norbert Chopik. Every Sunday, Minister Chopik went to church, and he spoke to the people. They would listen. When he was done, they'd talk a little bit amongst themselves and they'd go home. That was it. No beautiful music, no food, not even coffee or cookies. One spring day, Minister Chopik was out for a stroll and the rain had come to Prague and the flowers were in bloom and the world was beautiful. And this gave him an idea. The next Sunday, he asked everyone in the church to bring a flower or a budding branch or even a twig and each person was just to bring one, the one they liked the best. As anyone who has ever given open-ended instructions know, Minister Chopek was flooded with questions. What kind? What color? What size? How many? They asked. But he insisted everyone should choose what they liked best. And so on the next Sunday, which was the first day of summer, the people came with flowers of all different colors and sizes and kinds. And the flowers filled all the vases, and the church wasn't so plain anymore. Minister Chopek spoke to the people while they listened and said, these flowers are like ourselves, different colors, different shapes, different sizes, each needing different kinds of care, but each beautiful, each important, and each special in our own way. When he was done speaking, all the people talked a little bit amongst themselves, and then they each chose a different flower from the vases before they went home. And that was the first flower communion. Now this is where I wished our story ended, but as historians maybe remember, in 1940, the Nazis took over Prague, and they found Chakpek's gospel of freedom an inborn virtue of all people. The Nazi court records showed that Chopek was too dangerous to the Reich for him to be allowed to live, so he was imprisoned at Dachau and was killed a year later. 
Chapek's message of loving hope and decency lives on through his flower communion, which is widely celebrated throughout the world in Unitarian Universalist congregations. This is a noble ritual which we're about to recreate today, and our service also includes some of Chapek's original prayers to help us remember the principles and dreams for which he died. And we're going to begin this morning with a consecration. The words of the consecration I'm about to share are Norbert's own. It's what the congregation would have heard for the first time 100 years ago. I invite you to travel back in time to Prague in 1923 in your mind and center yourself as you do for prayer. Close your eyes, settle yourself, and worship for just a moment with our kindred from 100 years ago. Let us pray. Infinite spirit of life, we ask thy blessing on these, thy messengers of fellowship and love. May they remind us amid diversities of knowledge and of gifts to be one in desire and affection and devotion to thy holy will. May they also remind us of the value of friendship of doing and sharing alike. May we cherish friendship as one of thy most precious gifts. May we not let awareness of another's talents discourage us or solely our relationship, but may we realize that whatever we can do, great or small, the efforts of all of us are needed to do thy work in this world. Amen. Please remain seated for prayer hymn number eight in the gray book, Mother Spirit, Father Spirit. Mother's 
The mission and ministry of UUWASA is made possible by the generous support of its friends and visitors and members. We won't be passing a collection plate today. Instead, we have a basket on a table in the back for you to place a monetary gift on your way out or to place all or part of your 2023 church pledge, just a reminder, <laughs> on your way out of the sanctuary today. Thank you so much for your generous support of the fellowship and the faith and the fun that UUWASA offers to us all. This morning's reading I selected from a sermon Norbert Chopik preached on October 15, 1939. So to understand the context, the Nazis were very close to invading Czechoslovakia. Uh, Dr. Chopik's church was in Prague, and so they were reading the newspapers. And as you'll certainly learn in my sermon, Chopik had gotten a relatively modern invention as a gift on his 70th birthday, a radio. And so he would tune in, which was illegal, to the BBC and learn of the advancing Nazis. And he preached this sermon in its entirety, which I'm going to read a portion of. And it was this sermon and one other that was weaponized against him by Nazi judges that ultimately led to his arrest. When he preached by this time in 1939, thousands of people were sitting in his sanctuary every Sunday on Tuesdays and so on. 
And so this is what he preached to his congregation on the eve of the Nazi invasion. He said, it would be a terrible cruelty, a ruthless injustice if the cosmic intelligence would allow so many human flowers to be cut before they burst into bloom. That would break so many affectionate relationships and allow so many loving souls to die to one another. We can't deny that many of the best people die too soon and that many of their beautiful plans and ideals cannot be realized. Death has broken the greatest upsurge of creative activity of many people. Creative people, after having made many mistakes, see how they should have started or carried out something. Such a spirit usually has just one wish. If only I had more time to begin this and to finish that. Death in the midst of unfinished plans and unrealized hopes seems a senseless interruption. If any wrong, injustice, betrayal, or evil of any kind were to go unpunished in this universe, all of life would only be a farce or a comedy. Thousands and thousands of unsolved problems call for eternity and immortality. They call for more time and more ways to improve so that everything achieves full harmony and resolution. Knowing how to live is a great thing, and religion as I understand it is the path to this supreme knowledge. But the highest knowledge of living must include the knowledge of knowing how to die. There is God and there is eternity, and we are God's children and heirs of immortality. Here and ends our reading.
Unitarian Universalism doesn't have many martyrs. I think it's important when we have opportunity to listen to the words of our martyrs, the way that they interpreted our faith in light of the most extraordinary circumstances and the way that it informed the conduct of their life. So 100 years ago, this June 24th, Norbert Chopik's Czechoslovak Church celebrated the very first flower communion. So Chopik created this communion for his congregation in hopes that it would be treated like an act of confession. By participating in this communion, he believed we, and I'm going to quote him, we confess that we accept each other as brothers and sisters without regard to class, race, or any other distinction, acknowledging everybody as our friend. Four years earlier in 1919, Chopik single-handedly imported Unitarianism from the United States to his homeland in the optimistic years following the First World War. And it was this spirit of optimism that convinced Chopik Unitarianism could be the faith for the future of the Czech people. He had discovered Unitarianism a few years before while visiting the United States in the late 19th century. And for him, what he discovered in this faith was optimism and practicality and invention. And so 20 years later, when Chopik established a Czech Unitarian church, he believed with all of his heart that his work was the continuation of the Protestant Reformation. In particular, he thought he was carrying on in the footsteps of his countryman, the theologian Jan Hus. What Chopik didn't know at the time was that he would suffer the very same fate as his fellow countrymen. In 1415, Hus was killed for questioning the Catholic Church, and in 1942, Chopik was killed for preaching sermons the Nazis said mocked the Third Reich. Now just get some of these facts in your mind. Under Chopik's leadership, Czech Unitarianism grew like wildfire. Mind you, before 1919, there was no such thing as Unitarianism in the Czech Republic. But from 1919 to 1921, more than 525,000 people converted to Unitarianism. Now, unfortunately, today, especially after World War II, Unitarianism in the Czech Republic has all but vanished. And so before the Second World War, Chopik's preaching, what it did is it captured the public's imagination. Records show that people would rate in rain and snow for hours in order to get a seat inside his church to sit for one of his sermons. And families would flood Unitarian Sunday schools because they were drawn by their philosophy that children are co-creators who have something to teach as well as something to learn. Tropic believed Unitarianism could reawaken culture itself in the spirit of truth and kinship. And I find his determination remarkable and he was rewarded for it. American Unitarians were very eager to support Chopik's project, and soon congregations throughout the United States were funding his and his wife Maja's efforts. But, before we go on, I think Chopik would want us to remember that he wasn't a saint. He would want us to lift that up. 
In his own words, he could be forceful and inflexible. And recent scholarship has actually showed that there is no university on planet Earth that has any record of granting him the doctor he really liked putting in front of his name. But in Chopik's mind, his greatest achievement, more than shaping the public imagination of the Czech people, more than pastoring, was being a father, being a husband, and being a friend. After he left the Baptist for the Unitarians, he was mocked publicly by his friends, who later in his life he never turned away when they came to him for help. And while his wife was in America leading Unitarian churches, there's evidence of these letters that I've read in a book that show that Chopik loved his wife with overflowing tenderness. And when he was in Nazi prisons, he would write his children as often as he was allowed to, and he would describe in ever-creative ways his eternal love for them. And in the concentration camps, accounts show he was the last to accept food. He was the first to offer his back for hard labor, and he was a daily preacher of God's loving grace in one of the most graceless and loveless places on the earth. Now, Chapik was a deeply religious man, and even while he was imprisoned, he never stopped practicing his faith. In fact, in Dachau, he earned a reputation for his joking and his laughter. Fellow prisoners told stories of praying with him and being brought to Unitarianism by his witness. And in the labor camps, he would lead sing-alongs. And in those labor camps, he wrote dozens of hymns, many of which have been destroyed by the Nazis. But three of them that survive or in the gray hymnal right in front of you. Now, most of the stories we tell today about Chopik, they have to do with flower communion and his martyrdom. But there is a lot more to his remarkable life. Like us, he was a product of his time. He suffered and lied and loved and learned, and he changed. Early in his career, if you follow it, he was influenced by the social gospel of a theologian by the name of Walter Rauschenbusch in New York City. And Rauschenbusch talked that all of humankind's ills can be solved by human effort. But as Nazism spread, Chopik witnessed firsthand the limits of human effort as nation after nation and people after people were destroyed by the Nazis or would join their cause. And so what happened is people like Chopik in Europe and people like Reinhold Niebuhr in the United States abandoned the social gospel. They looked around and they saw such immense tragedy and what they did is they transferred their hope from humankind exclusively and they decided to share it with what they believed an eternal God who would restore all that's been broken and re-knit nations and humanity. But doing that, Chopik never lost his faith in people. Every person, he wrote, is an embodiment of God, and in every one of us, God struggles for higher expression, end quote. And it was in the face of adversity that Chopik built an institution dedicated to human dignity. He believed that the mission of religion was, in his words, quote, to help people learn to understand themselves, to maintain their own health and strength, their own freshness, their own peace and good humor, and above all, to be able to work with God and persuade others to do likewise, end quote. 
I'm going to put that another way. Chopik believed that faithful people examine their thinking. Chopik believed that faithful people are dedicated to their beloveds. Faithful people learn and investigate their weaknesses. They invest in their strengths, and they are endlessly curious. Moreover, faithful people take themselves lightly so that they can take others seriously, and they do so in service to a power greater than their own. And it was this imagination that he wove into the flower communion. And so after the church celebrated the very first one, Chopik wrote back to the United States to the president of the American Unitarian Association, a man by the name of Samuel Elliott, and he described the service and the purpose behind it. What a lot of people forget is that what Chopik chose for the occasion to read that first time was St. Paul's words from the 13th chapter of the 1 Corinthians. Now you might think, I don't know what it is, but I'm going to read just a little bit of it, and you're going to recognize the words instantly. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but if I don't have love, I gain nothing. And here's the part you'll remember. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. Love is not proud. It does not dishonor others. Love is not self-seeking. It never delights in evil and always rejoices with the truth because love never fails. Now, I've read these words at dozens of weddings and funerals, even for people who claim no fondness for the church or no fondness for God. But I have a theory why people choose St. Paul's words to be read so often. My theory is that words like this Occasions like flower communion, they cut through what I describe as existential consumerism. I was a philosophy major, so pardon that fancy word. I'm going to describe it to you. What they do is they cut through false religions and false idols that have been peddled to us in various ways and shapes and forms for ages. And you'll recognize false idols. All those voices that lie to you and say that a new life is just to purchase away. A new life is just a life hack away, a new guru away. Those voices that tell you that you should always keep your options open because a better body or a better lover or a better job or a better home is right around the corner if you follow my 12-step patented plan for $99 a month. What St. Paul called this in his theological mind was he called this idolatry. Today, we call thinking like this FOMO the fear of missing out. And it's easy to find messages that assure limitless self-exploration is the key to a meaningful life, as if committing to something or committing to someone is bad. Now, for the record, I want to say that Unitarian Universalism is not immune to this problem. The problem with the gospel of FOMO is that it makes light of moral formation. Nobody becomes a person or a new person in the same way we can go out and just update our wardrobe. There's a lovely article written just a couple of weeks ago in the New York Times by Jessica Gross about this topic. What she says is, quote, learning, growing, and repairing rifts with other humans and within one's soul or psyche 
is messy business. Moreover, it is eternal, end quote. In other words, you never master the things in life that really matter, and for things to matter, you have to dedicate yourself to them. Just ask yourself this rhetorical question. How long do you think a relationship will last if one partner is quietly waiting for someone a little taller, a little fuller of figure, a little deeper in the pockets? It's this long, dedicated project of humanhood into moral formation that Chopik wove into this service we're celebrating. His service isn't asking you to just go through the motions. His service is actually asking you to commit your life to faithful witness. And it's Chopik's witness in the last years of his life that offer up a masterclass on commitment. And so put yourself in the mind of this. As the Nazis inched ever closer to the Czech Republic, American Unitarians flooded Chopik's mailbox with letters offering him safe passage and jobs and apartments in the United States. And every time, he politely refused. Instead, what he decided to do was he enfolded himself into the embrace of the faith we practice. And rather than move his church underground, he threw the doors open. And thousands of people sought solace in the gospel of Unitarianism. And as the Nazi noose tightened around Chopik's neck, he pressed ever harder. This was his weekly routine. He preached on Sunday mornings, and at night he taught Sunday schools. On Mondays, he coordinated weekly volunteers. On Tuesdays, he led evening services. Wednesday mornings, he rushed to the church as early as he could to let the new mothers in the door so they could have a place to mingle. And at night, he returned to host a men's group. On Thursday, he conducted choir practice. On Fridays, he coordinated with the volunteers again. And then he rounded out the end of every week on Saturday, teaching youth group in the morning and training religious education volunteers at night. All the while, he kept up his pastoral work, visiting the sick, making house calls every single day, doing it while being tailed by the Gestapo. And so in one of the last sermons given before his arrest, Chopik preached these words, quote, We all know what's happened to us. In place of truth, we have lies. In place of humanity, brutality. A huge empire stood astride the world and subdued small people. But the small people remained standing while the huge empire went under, end quote. And so on the eve of the Nazi invasion, Chopik reminded his congregation that David always beats Goliath. Lies and brutality are temporary, but truth and justice are eternal. And for these words, he was forced to stand trial in front of three hand-picked Nazi judges. And so when the Nazi SS officers came to arrest Chopik, he was standing and listening to his beloved radio that his congregation had just given him a few days earlier on his 70th birthday. And so as soldiers were ransacking his home, destroying his life work, he walked into the kitchen and he brewed a big pot of coffee and he invited the soldiers to sit with him. 
And a few hours after chatting over coffee, Chopik was arrested on the trumped-up charge of treason. And then for the rest of his life, he was transferred back and forth from kangaroo courts to Nazi prisons. But before his last court date, Chopik was allowed to see his daughter Zora, who had also been imprisoned. And in a letter that Zora wrote to one of her sisters, she describes what it was like to be the last child to see their father alive. And this is what she wrote. We hadn't seen each other for over a year. Father cried and I was kissing him all over the face. And at that moment, he squeezed into my hands a little paper on which was written this poem, dedicated to my dear Zora. I'll read the poem in its entirety. It is worthwhile for me to live and bravely fight for saintly ideals, although disappointed a thousand times, and perhaps even to fall in this fight when everything would seem in vain. Blow angry winds through my stony body, because you will not conquer my soul. I have lived in the center of eternity. My soul will be eternal. My living was worth it. Whoever has been set upon from all sides, but with his soul has conquered, is welcome in the chorus of heroes. Whoever has broken his shackles and given wings to his mind is marching into a golden future. The purpose of communion with fragile flowers is to remind us that we are here only for a time be reminded that life is a gift. And so by participating in this communion, you are expressing publicly your need for others to survive, your need for others to feel whole and loved. So the time has come for us to share in this communion. So as you take a flower, remember that it is an expression of someone's promise of friendship, and therefore it deserves your kindest touch. So I invite all of you to come forward now and to take a flower home. Please come.
the end of every flower communion, Chopik would offer for his congregation this prayer. I invite you to hear these words anew. In the name of providence, which implants in the seed the future of the tree, and in the hearts of men and women, the longing for people living in human love. In the name of the highest in whom we move and who makes the mother and father, a brother and sister what they are. In the name of sages and great religious leaders who sacrifice their lives to hasten the coming of peace and justice. Let us renew our resolution, sincerely to be real brothers and sisters, regardless of any kind of bar which estranges one from another. In this holy resolution, may we be strengthening knowing that we are God's family, that one spirit, the spirit of love, unites us. And may we endeavor for a more perfect and more joyful life. Amen. Please rise now in spirit or body for our closing hymn in the Teal Book, 1018, Come and Go With Me.
before I offer the benediction this morning, I want to remind everybody that this is a bittersweet occasion in many ways. The service we celebrated is a bit of a somber but hopeful occasion. And then in much lighter news, this is the last Sunday with the church's congregational administrator, Donica Gibson. So be sure to thank her for her nearly four years of service to the congregation. I know I speak on behalf of the staff and on behalf of the congregation that we've certainly enjoyed working with her and will miss her. And with that, I invite you to gather your hands, take the hand of someone nearby. If you're here alone, you can reach out with your heart. May the truth that sets us free and the hope that never dies and the love that casts out fear lead us forward together until the day spring breaks and all shadows flee away. Please have a seat, relax, enjoy the postlude. We'll see you in a moment. <laughs>